Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So, get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome again to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys duck comics, especially those done by the legendary Carl Barks. We are back with a really exciting story to talk about. We're going to be talking about vacation time. But before we get into it, I have a returning a returning guest host. Can you introduce yourself and let us know about your experience with camping vacations? I'm Eric Hartley. I have been on many camping vacations. I don't know if it's vacations, but many campgrounds through scouts. One or two times with my family, um, and none of them were as adventurous as you would find in comic books. Yeah, awesome. So, I, Eric, I am going to uh, lay my cards out right away. I think this is just, just a wonderful story. I think this is one of Bark's all-time best. And so I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this one. This is, this is one of the issues that, you know, when I thought about doing this podcast, I was like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be neat to talk about stories like Back to the Klondike and Land Beneath the Ground and, and Vacation Time was one one of those that came to mind. And that's kind of unusual because this is in some ways, it's like a much more idyllic, it's a less adventurous story, at least up until the end. Well, it certainly is less fantastical than Back to the Klondike and, and many, so many other stories where he goes and there's new worlds or strange creatures or madcap adventures with weird adventures, that kind of a thing. It's certainly less of that than probably anything else I've read. Yeah, it's true. This one is, it's kind of a more like I don't know if intimate is the right word, but it's definitely unique among his adventure length stories. There, there's a lot of special things about this one. So again, thank you for uh, returning, talking about this. I know that you've done a lot of camping in the same kind of area that I have. Right. Mm. And, and when I when I read this story, I can't help but think of my own vacation and camping experiences, which were mostly in California. Right. And I feel like this tracks pretty well. You know, this one definitely has like a Northwest feel to me. I think that's deliberate because Barks grew up or spent a lot of his time in California, Southern California, when he worked for Disney Studio. And uh, before that, he he spent a lot of time in Oregon. Mm, yeah, it has a lot of the up in the mountains kind of thing. Sierra Nevada is where, you know, there's not a lot of people. And, you know, there's still rivers of trout that are flowing and animals still roaming around. They're not all run off by developments. Yeah, it's it's a very like classic, almost mythical American feel to it, right? Yeah. It's got that sort of like unspoiled, untamed wilderness, which, you know, if you know anything about 
about American wildlands. None of them are really that wild. They've been shaped by humans so much over the over the, the centuries and millennia, but it still has that sort of like almost primeval forest feel for, for parts of this one at least. Yeah. But of course it is in a very, obviously a very managed state park. And, and part of the neat thing about this is like that respect for the respect for managed wilderness that I think that I think it's showing. Absolutely. This issue has a great appreciation, not just for the nature and the habitat, but also for those who service it, the rangers and the fire service that are out there and respect the of them. They're not, they don't come off as buffoons or villains. It's, it's, it's a really neat to see that because they're an authority figure that's respected, which again, is not all that common in comics. You know, either they're the foil or they get in the way. Yeah. And and in this, they're like, I mean, we'll talk about it, but they're almost like comically noble for, for yeah. their limited bit of runtime. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. All right. So uh, a little bit of the background of this story. Um, again, we're talking about vacation time. This comic, it, this is not one of the ones that was originally published in the American one-shot series that's called Four Color. This was its own special issue in um, an issue called Vacation Parade. Uh, it's it's a, like a limited title that was published occasionally. Um, some of Bark's Christmas stories were done in Christmas Parade. So, you know, every few years, Western Publishing would put out uh, a special limited run like this. And so they ran all vacation-themed stories. It came out in June of 1950. So we're right at the right at the beginning of the 50s. Um, we're in that, you know, post-war era. This this definitely has that feel, right? People are more focused on fun and leisure. This this one really stands out for one special reason, Eric. This happens to be his longest story that he ever published. Really? Um, yeah, his longest duck comic, at least. It is wow. one page longer than any of his others. Most of them maxed out at 32 pages. For whatever reason, they gave him that extra page, which I, I have to assume is that like title, that gorgeous initial splash panel that um mm. that we will get to open with but, uh, oh, but yeah, yeah it's his only 33 pager huh. and that's what, kind of weird yeah i know i i think that it might limit how often this one could be reprinted though because it has surprisingly few reprints i i saw only six listed for american edition mm. yeah so this this is about donald and the kids enjoying a nice camping vacation. Um, there's obviously a lot more to it. Thinking about some background trivia, you know, I, I already mentioned that it is his longest. It's one of a, a very small number that has one of those full page splash panels. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to talk about another one, which is the story Letter to Santa. Um, I got to do that with Suze, my wife, and that has a really cool full page spread. And I believe there's at least one more, but it's escaping me right now. So that's okay. No fact checking. <laughs> but what I think is kind of unique about this is it's one of the like very small handfuls of times that Donald really gets to be truly heroic. This is true. I mean, in in, in most of the Bark stories, you know, he's he's interested in keeping him down on his luck or, or as kind of an everyman character. So he wants him to be pretty relatable. And he never 
acts like super heroic in this one. It's really just about kind of keeping his cool and um, and being a rule follower. Yeah, he's usually one that he wants to go do what he wants to do, or he is a foil for the boys, for the nephews, and giving them trouble, putting excessive rules on them to make them miserable and they have to fight against him and that's interesting it's not quite that way in this one i mean they do come to heads a little bit but it's nothing quite like they're in they're in in an antagonistic situation with each other exactly the ducks are very cooperative for this whole story but but it never feels like even though he is more heroic and noble than normal to me it never feels like it strays too much from his character you know barks makes sure to have him tussle with the 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 bad camper that we'll talk about you know he kind of he kind of brings him down a a peg a few times so i i think that's pretty effective i've got a quote from barks about the background of creating this one he was interviewed and said i couldn't create suspense without having them in real danger and real danger means the fear of death so all of the times these ducks got in bad situations they did have that opportunity of dying in case they got clobbered it it made it more true to life to have them up against these impossible situations in which they could lose their lives if they didn't win and in the forest fire sequence you bet they were in danger it made the story memorable. That is definitely true. That was a um, very different because it's normally they're in peril from a villain or some kind of crazy circumstance. But this is very real. A, a forest fire is a legit thing. And how he describes it and how it goes on to it, which, I mean, thinking about it nowadays right now in the Americas, there are plenty of forest fires. We just had a big one uh, in going on Colorado where they're, they're various serious things and they, you have to know what to do in those situations. One of the things making it so real um, certainly did surprise me regarding this issue. It, it is kind of surprising, right? The first time you read it, it's, it's very striking because a forest fire does feel like such a realistic and, and menacing threat. So I have to ask, though, in, in, in respect to timing, where is this in regards to Bambi being broadcast? Because I think it's an interesting juxtaposition between nature and fires and ducks and fires, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because it's impossible, I think, not to think about Bambi as you read this one, right? Because there's a deer that plays such, such a memorable role in this one, and it ends with a forest fire. And I, I have to assume that you know barks had bambi in mind bambi was like huge in american culture it it came out in 42 and and that was one of disney's very earliest animated films i think it might have been like their fourth or fifth or something something like that it was very early on and it did leave this like big footprint i'm sure you remember vividly seeing bambi so many times i mean once as a kid being shocked by it and traumatized and my sisters and my younger siblings watching it and just seeing it all the time and I, I know the story by heart and yeah. now that I'm thinking about it and reflecting on it I'm like man that story still holds up absolutely B- Bambi is great I, and I don't mean to suddenly veer and talk too much about Bambi but but it's super appropriate right because absolutely um, it's it's the same story in in a certain sense but for the ducks happened to be there you know that deer mm-hmm. could almost have been the king of the forest or something that this could could have been 
like Bambi from another point of view, because it has the same sense of we get treated to this really beautiful depiction of a forest, just lovingly, lovingly illustrated. I'm, I'm going to say that this story features some of Bark's greatest art in his career. Sure. And, yeah, it's beautiful. It's the, the scenery is, is fantastic. Yeah. And, and Bambi likewise is just, it's a slight story, but it, it's just so lovingly animated. So, so yeah, that's a great thing to mention. I don't know if Bambi would have had a, a re-release recently, but um, you know how those those stories, those um, those films had like that long shelf life when they mm-hmm. were first created. So I think Bambi was really a, a current matter when when this story came out. Um, so before we talk about the the structure the of the story itself, you know, Eric, that I I like to pander to the international audience by um, talking about some of those titles from around the world. Let's by all means pander. Let's do so. Uh, why don't you start us off? I gave you a couple of a uh, couple of s countries you're gonna go with sweden or spain first um i'm gonna do spain because that's what i can do and i want to end on a low note because that's what's entertaining yeah. um spain is nos vamos de vacaciones we're going on vacation yep so pretty straight, you know, uh, n- none of these are going to be really intriguing titles. They're all pretty close translations. I will go with Germany. We've got Family Duck auf Farinfart. And I, I only read that uh, fully as I as I read it out loud here. So I know I had at least one other title where the translation included that um, that word fart or that particle fart. So so yeah, uh, that translates to the duck family on a holiday trip. All right. All right. In Sweden, labor lager leave living camping life. If yeah. my any of my trips to IKEA have helped that pronunciation. I highly doubt it, but there you go. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how the how the A with the umlaut or the derisist um, goes. But uh, for all I know, you did great. Um, and let's see. I think I will end with um, Netherlands. We've got Met Vacantia, which is on holiday or probably vacation. You know, Google Translate is inconsistent. Now, Mark, before we get into this, now that we're done pandering, I have a question. Yeah. As great as this story is, do you feel the title is misleading because he has so many other great Back at the Klondike and these other, you know, so many great titles for stories. Vacation time. I that's just so bland. Yeah, it's pretty pedestrian, right? And it's yeah, I'm just going like, oh, it's vacation time. I was it to, to now to me, growing up vacation time, usually it's going to a beach or getting, you know, going out of town. But I've never, I mean, yes, I've gone camping, but to me, camping was like we're gonna go camping, but it's not necessarily vacation because camping is a lot of work. To me, vacation is relaxing, taking it easy. Growing up in California, that was me going to the beach. So the fact that vacation time doesn't even mention camping or wildlife or what they're doing is just kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point, right? I I think you nailed it. Camping, I don't slot in as a vacation. It's it is something you do for fun, but it's it's mm-hmm. a different a totally different animal because sure. you know, you're you're waking up at dawn you're doing all your cooking and you're cleaning and maybe burying unspeakable things um in in the woods so yeah but 
I guess, I guess you and I wouldn't have been as like surprised going into the story. And, and I'm remembering the first time I read it when I was probably like nine or 10 years old, really being shocked that it ends the way it does. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, uh, you know, if it was called uh, Donald and the Forest Fire, you know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't hit as hard. I'm going to guess, I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to guess that the title was picked by the editor mm-hmm. specifically for that like vacation parade issue i guess that makes sense i would have gone to most like camping adventure or adventure in the mountains or some kind of like yeah i mean the buck is such a a focus of this one i I would, that's probably what I would think of. I try to consider, Eric, what titles I would have picked for some of the 10 page ones because Barks mm-hmm. almost never got to title those. And so they've been retroactively titled um, by fans okay. or, or by, you know, the, the publishers that kind of agreed on like a, a set. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a 10 page story that is literally called Vacation Time. So, so yeah, I, I, I think the title is, is pretty milk toast, you know, it, but that's that's how everyone knows this story. And, and sure. this one is this is a very famous one, Eric. You no, absolutely. You can it's look not- at it on the other hand, though, as that simple title lures you in and oh, OK, it's just going to be a simple adventure. And then it surprises you with such a great story and such fantastic art that, you know, it kind of does the bait and switch a little bit. So that might be another hook to people I'm like, oh, this is surprised me. I wasn't expecting this. Yeah, for sure. So let's see. I don't have too much to talk about, you know, for background and historical context of this one, but I I do think it's worth noting that we're so lucky in the States. One of the uh, rapidly diminishing great things about living in this country is the the national park system, right? And I I feel like this, I feel like Barks really wants to editorialize here Mm -hmm. for the importance of wilderness preservation. He's taking, he's editorializing in this more than he does in most stories. Yes, yes, he is. I looked up, we can talk about this when we get to it, but I, I, I spent just a little bit of time researching how to survive a forest fire. Nice. In this one. And um, there's, there's not, a, you, you probably won't be surprised that there's not a lot of super consistent advice, but it did come up a few times to say that like a firefighter as a last resort that's battling a blaze will put up a heat reflecting shelter and mm-hmm. dig a small hole in the dirt to breathe through. Yes. Being from Arizona, there is a history. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story of the uh, Granite Mountain hotshot. Oh, I do. That was devastating. It, it, it really was. And then, like I said, there's the forest fire strike home to a lot of people in the American West. But I mean, reading that made me think of them, the, the, how the fire, how the fires were even fought by the Rangers and the firefighters was surprising the accurate with going in and you know building other fires to fight that fire which is an actual common sense it's actual factual way of doing it I, I thought that was a very good way of portraying that these you know the how the professionalism and how serious they take these things yeah yeah you're totally right it's it's kind of fleeting right but um but in in the few panels where he addresses it he he does it in a way that you can tell he's learned about it thought about it all right so we got a lot of uh great stuff to talk about in this one let's uh let's Let's hop into it if you're ready. Go for it. All right. So so vacation time, Eric, as as I mentioned, it opens with a, a full page splash panel that is 
super legendary. It's it's fantastic. It's not really that connected to the entire story, uh, but you could tell that Barks probably was just tickled pink to draw this. Do you mind describing, you don't have to go into gruesome detail, but but telling us about this amazing opening panel? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's got the, the ducks in Donald's classic car, which is overloaded with gear going on a, it looks like a rather precarious mountain road. And Donald is gleefully excited by going camping the boys are freaked out of their minds because it looks like they're all going to bounce out behind them is running a bear chasing them and there is a river flowing beneath it It looks like they could fall into that and then on the left side above it above them it looks like there is a there's a panther and a tree branch waiting to pounce which I will note in the American West, that should be a mountain lion, not a panther, um, due to the colorization of it. Yeah, and it's a color or choice. I'm sure I'm sure there's been times that that big cat was shown as a mountain lion. There's a whirlpool beneath them, too. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh my gosh, that is. I didn't even notice that one. It's just such a great contrast between the oblivious Donald and the terrified boys. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to set us up for a couple of pages of him just extolling the virtues of the simple country life and and being oblivious to the the dangers passing them by that the nephews are going to be stressed about it's uh yeah that's true camping is not just all fun games there's actual peril involved especially going up some of those mountain roads you have to know what you're doing i yeah i've been on a few of those roads it, it amazes me too that this was the opening page this was not the cover the cover art for vacation parade was a, a pretty like a bland cover by I think uh, Carl Butner or or someone but later on this will be used this image will be used as a cover and spoiler this is going to be um, a, a pretty rad Barks oil painting as well I, I can only imagine so on the next page again we get more of these contrasts you know they're like narrowly passing a, a locomotive at a train crossing they're getting edged off the road by a big hay wagon there's all sorts of wild animals waiting to pounce as donald changes a flat tire and 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 he's just blissfully ignorant the whole time while the nephews are like covering their eyes and stressing out and, and Every panel here is just so great to look at for me, Eric. Oh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if any of these really stand out to you. Um, I, I love the one with the eagle. The one, again, I, I love Barks' use of shadows and to allow you to see shapes and focus on the whole picture, not just the minor details. The train one particularly stands out to me and how contrasting some of the other brighter colors. Brighter yeah, they're scenes. close enough. Sorry, they're, they're close enough to actually be in the shadow of the train. <laughs> yeah. There are some really great angles. He, he gets pretty experimental um, throughout this whole issue with some of the very irregularly shaped panels in a way that mm-hmm. he'll almost never get to do again. And just yeah. a lot of the perspective through this story is pretty special. Yeah, and I, I just love how he takes the time to describe, well, man, I'd never have to do this. And I, you know, about to deal with this problem in the city while he's dealing with in the wood in the mountains, but he's completely oblivious because he's not in the city. It's a fun juxtaposition and just oblivious. Yeah. Oh, and, and I will mention that that is um, in, in the panel where he's changing a tire. He says, imagine me fixing a flat at the corner of Wilshire and Vermont. I'd be taking my life in my hands. Um, that is a real intersection, I think, near Hollywood. And of course, he doesn't see all of the wildlife that's about to pounce on him. So on the, 
the next page, the ducks come to a fork in the road on their way, and they can't tell the right way to go because hunters have shot the sign up. So Donald picks a route and he he blusters a bit about having uh, senses like a homing pigeon. And <laughs> we know that this is going to be like a moment where he gets deflated because the road just peters out more and more. And it goes to such a great extreme, Eric, where uh, do, do you mind mentioning the, the funny extremes that they take that Barks takes it to with the road? Well, it goes down and it eventually becomes the rut. And then the road just flat disappears. And like, well, this is even a road? I don't even know anymore. He's using a magnifying glass to try to find the road. Right. I like that. Using a magnifying glass. And we've got these random hillbillies that say revenuers. Ah, that <laughs> word is I couldn't figure out what they're saying. They're yeah. okay. They're... So if if you're not, if English is not your first language in, in the in the American rev, revenuers is is a, a a comical way of saying the tax collector yeah um, okay in, in hillbilly speak one of them yeah said, i couldn't understand the hillbilly speak that's what threw me off right the hillbilly speak cracks me up it's certainly not not that kind but it is funny a ride in an automobile fussed one i have a seed they do eventually realize that donald has gotten them on the road back to duckburg and they get a good crack in about you really are a homing pigeon it's kind of a lot of prologue. You know, we get these three full pages before they get even into their, their campgrounds. But on the fourth page, they arrive into these beautiful backwoods. Donald is, is describing it for the nephews, really just extolling the virtues of this old forest. It looks very, it looks very Northwest to me, Eric, right? These look like uh, redwoods or sequoias or, or similar. Probably, yeah. And I've got to imagine it's, he spent time in Minnesota as well. There's got to be kind of an amalgam of, of the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest here. But Donald takes a turn into the ranger station and uh, one of the nephews asks, why are you turning in here, Uncle Donald? Do you mind reading his response? It says, for camping instructions at a fire permit, we want the scenery to still be here when we leave. And And this is like, it's almost like, I want to say heavy handed, but it's not. It's delivered very naturally. But this could have been like a Smokey the Bear, you know, public awareness campaign. It's it's just delivered in such a great way that makes you want to feel virtuous. Absolutely. It's like, you know, we got to. This makes me think of back in the day. I had to do a report on Hopalong Cassidy and I had to watch a lot of his stuff. And he was, he made himself such an ideal and wanted to teach kids. He's such a, a, an icon, a role model for these kids that he would always try to do his shows and have that be respectful, teach the kids to be respectful and, you know, respect the police, respect these authority figures and be nice to your teachers, be nice to your parents, but not do it in a heavy handed way, just trying to teach them and learn. That's what it strikes me as because they know how to take care of it. And we're a here. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The the through line that runs through this comic is a respect for nature and a respect for authority. Not that like problematic, unthinking, unquestioning respect for authority. That's not that's not the kind I'm a fan of. But as you say, the, the rangers are are the experts. Uh, in, in this case, these rangers are really supposed to represent a thoughtful stewardship of the fort. Mm -hmm. And the, the ranger here, you know, he's inspecting. You can tell that Donald is eager to show off how prepared yeah. he is. The, the ranger runs through the checklist of, of the things that indicate that 
um, that the ducks have come prepared. And, you know, he gladly gives them the rule book and tells, and I assume the fire permit. We, we even have the little woodland creatures kind of approaching the ducks. You know, I think it's kind of symbolizing the forest, like welcoming them because they're, they're planning to do it the right way. Absolutely. If you're going to camp, make sure you know what you're doing because the preparation really helps make a better experience. Making sure you have all the things you have to go in camping, you always have to take extra time. You can't just throw stuff in the car and go. You need to make sure you have everything and you've got a good plan. You need to enjoy your time out there in the woods instead of worrying about what you didn't have. Going back to the story, I also like how it's a little bit of a setup where it talks about the hand of man doesn't even toss a cigarette butt. Look how pretty it is. It shows the grip you know, beautiful shots of the forest, just setting that up for later on in the story. Yeah, that that's an excellent point. There's some great setup. Um, there's some great foreshadow. He's really letting us fall in love with the forest, right? Because it's going to, it's going to hit that much harder when it's in peril. Mm-hmm. Well, he's establishing the rules for a good campsite. And you wouldn't think that's going to play a role later on. You're just John's showing off, but it's neat to see how he transitions that and uses that as a contrast to the campsite they find later on. Cause so that way the reader knows, Hey, this is a good campsite. We've learned the rules of a good campsite earlier on. This one is not. Yeah, that's true. He, he sets it up. You're right. On the next page, the ducks are going to find their campsite. And it's it's a really great page because it's it's almost an instructional on mm-hmm. how to do, as you said, an ideal campsite. Um, but we've got this really funny aspect where Donald is busily directing the nephews where to pitch the tent, where to set up the table, how to build a careful, thoughtful fire. And it's it's funny, right? Because Donald's not, the nephews are doing all the work. But you know, he, yep. he's, he is actually showing some good leadership in this one. Yeah. And we get a nice comic stinger. I, I'm sure this has happened to you, right? Uh-huh. Where he lights the fire after bragging about checking on everything and uh, immediately the the smoke billows right into his face that is the worst thing when you got everything set up you're relaxed all of a sudden the smoke from the campfire just hits you are you uh, one of those people that is magnetic for for smoke whatever side of the fire you uh you decide to step on to it certainly feels that way yeah it does all right the, the next morning and on the next page we get the classic gag of the contrast between the experienced camper and the new campers where are, are you the guy eric who wakes up at or before the crack of dawn ready and raring to go um not when i'm camping i mean i do but it's not because i want to be up for some reason camping it's really hard to sleep and maybe it's the weather maybe the sun hits the tent it's but i've, I've always woken up early camping yeah and i've always hated it because i'm tired but then you get up and you see the wilderness in the fresh morning and it's just amazing. Right. And it, it's why you're there. And, you know, we know in the majority of these stories, this is the reverse. The nephews are, they're junior woodchucks. They love this camping life. Donald's the little, little boon head who, who isn't really good at this. But this is the story that Barks wants to tell. You know, he, uh, he has the nephews start the breakfast fire while he's off to catch some trout. And right away while fishing, he gets a strike and he gets, pulled through the river onto the land and 
we encounter this buck, this this deer that um, collides with him. And Donald's instant reaction is to think about how lucrative it could be if he captured a really majestic photo. And and this just this is so neat, and it's it's a it's very quaint because. I don't think there's quite the market for this kind of photo these days, and there probably wasn't back then. But but for the purposes of the story, it makes sense. Yeah, what also establishes the fact that he's got his camera and adds a fun little adventure in the middle of everything, trying to get that camera, and that becomes the classic Donald story of he wants to get something done, and he just keeps on getting foiled by whatever circumstances. He, it's it's kind of that classic screwball comedy of. I just want to do this one thing. It'll be great. Exactly. And everything interrupts it and keeps it from happening. Right. This deer is going to do a great job of driving the story forward. Uh, it's going to become his obsession for, for a lot of it. So Donald makes his way on the next page back to his camp. But but on his way, he himself gets hooked by an errant, you know, cast, um, a cast line. And we meet the guy that I just think of as the bad camper. Um, sure. He pulls Donald up and he he says, well, a blasted duck. We've got this kind of Brooklyn street tough speak from him. He says, uh, uses the dumbest looking fish I ever caught. And he t- tell us about the bad camper thing that he does immediately, Eric. Well, he automatically lights a cigarette and then flicks the the match into the grass, which is just an unbelievable. I mean, I can't. You hate to see it. Oh my gosh. I've been camping and seeing people litter. I'm like, why? Blatantly throwing a, a, a lit match in a way is just, oh my gosh. I want to reach through the comics and through time in the screen and find him and just yeah. slap the bejeebers out of him for what he's doing. And we, I think we're conditioned to really feel Donald's, you know, despair at seeing this. Because because mm-hmm. on, on the next page, Donald is chiding him. He stomps it out and the guy makes excuses. He says, you know, that grass won't boin. It's wet. And, and he rubs Donald's face in it. So he's really rough with him. Donald decides to whittle him down to, to his size. And we transition past what was apparently a very an unsuccessful fist fight because Donald <laughs> is, is leaving, looking pretty beat up with the guy on unscathed. So this guy is more than he can really handle. We know he's bad news. Yeah. So on the next page, you know, Donald uh, gets back to camp. Um, the nephews are disappointed that they, there's no fish. They've got to have flapjacks and oatmeal. He tells them uh, the next phase of their trip now is going to be taking pictures. He tells them all about the really majestic buck deer. And, and he wants the nephews to drive the deer uh, so that it'll give a really majestic pose. Um, so they they split up so that they can do it. And tell us about the nephew's encounter. Well, they go looking for a deer, which and then they come across a little baby deer who is huddling in the tall grass, trying to hide. Pet him up, and they pet him and say, "Hey, we can see you. It's okay." It's very very cute, right? And, yeah. And we transition on the next page. Donald is wondering where the kids are. 
and tell us about uh, the, this encounter. Well, he's, he's like, where are they? What's going on? They should have done this already. And next thing when they come up, it's like, hey, we had a full flock of deer. They've apparently befriended all of the, the little wildlife. There's lots of little bunnies and all these little baby deer and lots of does, the female deers, but no bucks. And so Donald's very upset by this. And they're like, no, take your picture with these babies. You know, they named them Sambo, Prince Oscar, which are just fantastic names. Yeah. And so Donald's fine, I'll do that. He takes a whole bunch of pictures and now he's got to go waste a whole roll of film you know back in the day you had to have enough film for everything oh i know you had to go back to camp to reload the camera what a blast from the past i i definitely remember film oh yes so so this is a great setup right we know what's about to happen on the next page he's he's gone through the whole roll taking these cute photos what does he encounter when he gets back to camp well there of course is the buck just raiding all the food in the campsite and just Donald's like no I don't have any film so here's where we get our little uh comedic child abuse gag right this was yeah total total convention back in the 50s and and even later you know the adult holding the switch threatening we rarely see anyone actually getting wailed but but the threat hovered you know he's holding up a switch telling the kids you know you better flush out that buck but on the way as he's chasing them through the forest we encounter the bad camper again we encounter him slumped over at his campsite and Eric, why don't you tell us about the situation on the next page? Okay. Well, as they find him, he's slumped over asleep, not tending this fire that he's obviously going on. And Donald's like, hey, this isn't safe. And the guy's like, wait, leave me alone. He's like, listen, you've got this fire built all wrong. If the wind comes up, it's going to blow. And the guy's like, I'll grab a bucket of water. And Rose Donald's like, I'll fill the water like this. And then he starts to light another cigarette because apparently when you're on the woods, you just got to smoke. And then the boys notice like he doesn't even have a bucket of water he's, and he's got no safety precautions. Yeah. We, we, the reader hate this guy like the yes. dust. He, he is bad news. He calls, he calls Donald uh, these, these nicknames like granny boy and nature boy. Um, he's the worst kind of city slicker. And, and I say that as a city slicker, you know? Yeah. All right, so um, we transition then after that unfortunate encounter. You know, the ducks are still looking for the buck. They they see him in the distance. So Donald instructs the nephews to flush him over this rock because he wants to get a picture. And as he's waiting for the buck to crest the rock, a bear comes up behind him. And we get this onto the next page. We get this uh, very silly setup where the bear snatches the camera. Donald takes fright and, and he and the deer collide head to head at the top of the rock this would have been a pretty great picture if the bear had snapped it but the bear the bear snaps an accidental picture of himself and scares himself off and donald is is just really annoyed this is admittedly a hard one to narrate because it's it's very visual here it's it's just a silly interlude yeah it, again it's just one more comical thing to get in the way of his taking a picture now it's got a roll now it's got a film in the camera but camera gets swiped in the bottom gets away again honestly i would like to see the developed picture of the bear's self-portrait because that oh, might be amazing as well yeah that that one seems like it's worth more to me than the majestic buck so you know we get more set up on the onto the next page as they they continue to track him and and the nephews are griping about how you know they're just being marched all over the place they thought they were um, on vacation to rest and this is some of the most beautiful scenery as they're tracking it 
Mm-hmm. You know, it shows these like nice like ferns and and waterfalls. Really, just gorgeous art. I'm I'm committing the cardinal sin, Eric, of of podcasting. Tell, telling you in an auditory medium, you really gotta see it. <laughs> but I I do. I really hope that people will have recently reread their back issue or maybe are even paging along as we go through this story because the, the art understandable absolutely but you also have to remember you're using a auditory podcast to talk about a visual medium in the fact that that's comic books so yeah people have to expect that one yes exactly it's your fault listener <laughs> so so we get another of those great gags uh, that came up a lot on the next page um when you're in the wilderness uh, tracking something. What is this trope, Eric? Tell us. It's the trope of running in circles. Of You end up finding your own footprints and get confused. You're like, oh, there's people out here. We got to go find them. Let's keep following them. And then Ellison's like, what? There's even more. Wow, there's a lot of people out here. Until you realize, no, those are our own tracks. We're going around in circles. Right. They get the bright idea to turn around and they immediately encounter the buck. And again, they have another little funny moment where Donald falls into the river. The point of this page is that they're still tracking him. And on to the next page, we transition back to the bad camper who he's thinking about catching some fish. He's thinking about the wind that picks up. And we understand this to be very ominous because we see the smoke from his fire moving farther away due to the wind. And we transition back to Donald, who is very eagerly awaiting the the nephews to flush the deer. We don't even see the deer, but we, we see Donald narrating where it is and right as he's about to snap his great photo the the bad camper's fishing line catches his camera and pulls it right out of his his hand and so on the next page these two oppositional campers have an encounter again obviously there's no love lost and they immediately get into a to a pretty bad fist fight donald barely gets his camera back and the mood has changed eric at this point right the nephews really want to quit it seems jinx to them and they notice the wind picking up but donald really wants to plow on and so they do and um you you want to tell us about what happens on this next page in the gully well as they're going along they notice that the wind's picked up and you know donald's like oh it's just getting Wind always, you know, sounds scary in trees, but the boys notice, you know, even the animals are getting a little scared. And tell us, tell us about the following page, too. Donald accidentally walking along, following the tracks, inadvertently walks onto the back of the buck and is trying to stay with them. And the buck just swings him around. And it's a ride for dear life on Donald as he's trying to figure out what to do. As he's going on that ride, the boys are noticing like, man, the wind is really picking up. You know, Eric, I just I just heard the wind buffet my uh my room here, my third floor attic office here, pretty honestly. It was quite a coincidence here. So this is kind of an interesting little set piece onto the next page. You know, Donald's been riding him like a Bronco for a while and and he he wins, right? The deer uh, gets worn out. And so Donald like pushes him up to the top of this rise so that he can get his great picture. And I love this bit of payoff, right? He's he's beaten the deer down, just he's tired him out and finally has him right where he wants him. And the deer is too exhausted to do anything but kind of sit there panting, looking the opposite of noble. Uh, Donald's got a, a great censored um, expression and he wants to wait for the deer to, to revive. And on to the next page, 
he finally gets that perfect pose. And as he's fumbling to take the picture, one of the nephews wonders what he's looking at. And Donald sees smoke from the from that. So he climbs to the top of this rise and he and the deer are, it's, it's striking to me the right that the deer is so focused on the fire that it doesn't run away. He and the deer, they feel like they're on the same level. They feel like almost collegial. Yeah. Because because they're both looking at this, the fire that's been started clearly by the bad camper in horror. Donald is is running in terror onto the next page. He um he tells the kids that they've gotta they've gotta get back to the campsite to save their car so that they can get out. And they, you know, there's a little bit of acknowledgement from the ducks that it was the they they call him the tough guy's camp that's burning. And we transition back to the tough guy, and he his visage, his his expression suddenly cracks when he realizes that he started the blaze. And he's terrified as he realizes his, his entire camp, including his car, has boined up, as he says, burned up. And as he flees on foot, he passes the duck's car. And uh, boy, do we hate him here. Oh, absolutely. So, so on to the next page, you know, th- this is a troubling panel, right? Because the ducks are rushing one way and all the wildlife of the forest is rushing the other way because the ducks have to get to their car basically to make it out in time. And when they return to their campsite, they they find that indeed the bad camper has stolen their car. And how did you feel when you got to this part, you know, when you see the ducks like wandering around in a, in a smoky haze and the nephews real once once they realize the car has been stolen saying we're doomed. It was interesting because I mean, it, it's, it's a real immediate peril. And, you know, these are the things people have nightmares about of like fire burning in a fire like you know fire you can't escape that's that's a legit thing and so i mean it's 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 very scary and you know put it put even make it even worse you know as a parent who am responsible for for young children dealing with young children in this situation is even more scary and i just i don't want to think about it too much honestly oh i know this this is a very real striking moment you know you you know that the ducks are are going to be okay because of the nature of the medium but it's still um it's very affecting so donald donald does something really unique here he really keeps his head he he tells them that they need to stay together that he's going to think of something they start pondering their options one of the nephews suggests diving in the creek the other says no we'll be boiled like eggs um i i understand that that is like a real danger if you're in a small enough body of water sure i think i think a large source of water can keep you safe but well i mean yeah i mean if there was like a lake you could go swim out in the middle of the lake and just you know, tread water and hope you're okay. That right. the smoke and the haze don't, you know, overdo you. Yeah. Um, but a creek is not the way to go. No. So, so um, they, they observe on the next page that the fire is circling around the ridges, which is, you know, Bark sets it up nicely that they are trapped. So, so Donald says to grab their shovels and canteens, and um, they're going to go off and search for a clear place up the road. And we transition to this not so nice fellow, this tough guy. He's oversized driving Donald's little, uh, his, his good old belch fire runabout, and he 
he realizes that if he doesn't want to get, um, you know, in trouble, he's going to have to get rid of the evidence. So he he pushes Donald's car off a cliff. Uh, you hate to see it. Those of us who are big, big fans of the, uh, I think it's a 1934 Belch Fire runabout is the made up model that sure. Parks called it. And, and so Donald, we transition back to Donald, who is um, driving the kids on. And, you know, he asks Huey, why are you carrying that camera? And, and Huey tells us that there's a picture in it that I want to save. So this is kind of our first inkling of, um, of the justice that's going to come, I guess. Yeah, not- I mean, oh, I was going to say, there's also been great to acknowledge the fact that, you know, several pages back, you would see the boys pick up the camera, but that, it's a silent panel. They pick up the camera. You see, they make sure Barks to make sure to include the camera is in the story and it's not getting lost. It's not just a prop for that one story about chasing the deer or the buck, and it, but it, it plays a larger role and the boys are carrying around. I think it's a very good way of bringing that note and that thing through the story and not just reintroducing it later on saying, oh, remember my camera that you forgot right. about? Like, no, there's, it was in the, it was in the panels, go along the adventure with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very purposeful. Um, and I didn't mention, you know, when Donald was, chiding the guy for his terrible campsite. I didn't go out of my way to say, oh, Donald, Donald had one of the nephews, which which was Huey, hold the camera. Because it's a very subtle moment. He doesn't really call too much attention to it. But we get this really unique on the next page. You want to tell us about the the handful of panels that describe the that op that fire rescue operation? Oh, it's it's a great set of panels. Only three of them, but they explain you know, the ranger stations, plural, so they all buzz around the same time, how to, you know, form the firefighting service, go off to fight the, fight the fire. They have tanker trucks. Then you see the um, the plane dropping the uh, smoke jumpers out to start backfires to fight the blaze. Um, and, you know, they have a helicopter who's monitoring it, you know, m- making the observation, well, if there's anybody in there, there's no way they could survive this fire. It's too dangerous. But they just a good job of the reaction time of those rangers and the firefighters to get to that fire which is really impressive normally fires will be going off a little bit long you know be burning while before they can get that reaction but again this comic is condensing it but it's a very good portrayal of how they fight those kind of backwoods uh, wildfires Right. And and I'm sure it's best case scenario showing them at their, you know, full efficiency, but it's a neat little way of setting up the response. And we get two separate kind of narrations of of the risk here, right? You mentioned that, that the helicopter ranger talks about it, how no one can escape with their lives. And then also we get the bad camper, you know, standing kind of like tall and proud almost observing the blaze um, saying, you know, there's at least there's not any witnesses. And and then we transition to the ducks and Donald has finally led them to an open place. And tell, tell us, Eric, about what he instructs them to do. Well, he has them dig hole, dig trenches uh, long enough for them to lie down in. Boys notice that hey, you know, well, let's put a line down in a, in, in a in a hole that he's gonna get us. Now it's like no, we'll cover you up with the dirt. That's gonna help insulate it. The next page, it turns into you know, take off your jackets, soak them with that water, put yourself in the trenches, put your coats over your face, you put your wet jackets, wet clothes over your face, they'll protect you. Boys like no, no, you're gonna then, then I'm gonna cover you up with dirt. And like no, you're gonna suffocate us. He's like no, I'm gonna put this shovel blade over your head as further protection, but leave air holes on the sides so that way. 
breathe. You can still breathe. There'll still be air, but you'll still be protected from anything on top of you. Right. Um, smoke might get you, but you're going to be okay. Yeah. So that that those curved shovel blades, that's where he's going to leave the little small amount of ventilation. And so I, I have a lot to say about this and I, I should limit myself. But like, first off, this maybe this is not a great method. To, to me, Barks has set this up as being a very good last ditch, right? You would only want to do this if you had absolutely no other options. Right. Last ditch, last, last ditch option, no pun intended. Right, right. Um, so it's not a great option, but he's set it up in a way that that at least seems logically sound, right? He's not... I, I saw online, I think it was, I'm trying to remember, it was backpacker.com where I had read that, you know, what, what a surrounded firefighter might do. They talked about how you don't want to just cover your face with like a damp cloth because the water will like scald you really. Yeah. But this double layer of the dirt and and the cloth, it, it seems like a good method. It seems very clever. Um, so it felt like a, it felt, when I read this, like a, a brilliant way to escape this impossible situation. Sure. I mean, it, it's a fire and they picked the clear area for a reason. And right. by having the dirt over, it's not the fire is not going to stay on top of them and burn down. It's that initial burst as it goes through and then as it burns down, because the fire is moving, it's not going to stay in one spot. And they could pick the clear area with a little brush. So it's also not going to sit there forever. It's right. going to burn that place down. And then hopefully you just got enough of ability to survive that that area that so you can bench when you come back up it's it's moved on and you're dealing with, with the aftermath yeah definitely so the other thing eric that strikes me about this part is is it's inescapable that it feels like the ducks are digging their own graves right yes the the image of the nephew with his head covered lying in the trench it's really horrific looking it's yeah, absolutely absolutely terrifying so so this is a very frightening frightening page one of the scarier things that i think he's ever done and it feels all the more scarier because of what a realistic scenario it feels mm -hmm. yes so we we close out this page with the fire racing over them um we transition to the the bad camper who is kind of coming out of his hiding place and encountering uh a ranger and and he poses as a survivor and he immediately blames the ducks to to you know kind of set up his alibi and so we transition again we're just with the 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 camper who is at the ranger headquarters where he's telling his phony story and you know we see the ranger chief looking a little bit skeptical and and annoyed at the man blowing smoke rings in his station uh he says in response to the guy saying them ducks left their campfire boining, the, the ranger says, careless campers start lots of fires. Same old story. And, you know, we, we kind of wonder if he, he might already be skeptical of this guy. Um, it, it's my experience that rangers can easily identify bad campers. <laughs> yeah. They'll just do a cursory. you like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. You're going to be a problem because of they can tell in a split second of, okay, who's prepared and who's not. Right. So another ranger comes in and he announces the fire's under control. And we do get a, a nice little moment where the, the chief acknowledges, okay, so at least we've 
saved some of the forest, which, you know, makes the reader feel better. Um, and, the, and the chief has no choice but to take the guy's word for it. So he says, let's be on the lookout for some ducks. And, and it hasn't been too many panels, but it feels like a long time since we've actually gotten a check-in. And we, we do come back to the ducks and hear first that they're okay as their word balloons are poking out of those those trenches, um, wondering if it's safe to come out and, um, you know, tell us about Donald emerging. He comes out and he says, yeah, boys, it's safe, but makes that sad comment of, well, there's not going to be another fire here for a long, long time. As you see that scape of just charred ground and burnt trees and for how lush all the artwork has been before, this is now just barren and smoldering with the smoke weight with the wafts of smoke coming up of all these burnt trees and it's just it's just sad yeah yeah it's tremendously sad and you know we understand that like forest fires are a natural part of the cycle of the forest but this is a human caused one and and was needless and and is sad so on the next page we only get a couple of panels of the ducks wandering through the the now blighted uh, or burned up forest um, but it but it still feels very impactful. And, and they finally arrive back at the ranger station and the bad camper is there and he's horrified, of course, to see them because, you know, they're going to mess with his alibi. So he races ahead to demand that the rangers arrest those ducks for starting the fire. And and on the next page, Donald is aghast, you know, because he says that's the guy who started the fire. And uh, and he also says he might be the guy who stole our car. And as they're about to come to blows, you know, the ranger said, which side has the proof? And, and that nephew with the camera, Huey, um, gets a little pithy line off. He says this side, the inside, referring to the camera. And, and he asks the rangers to develop the film because he reveals for the first time. What does he reveal, Eric? Well, then, while they were arguing with the guy from the camp about his camp this morning, he took a picture of the whole setup. Like he was yeah. preparing, like, you know, in case something goes to south, I want to have proof that, you know, this guy was the blame. Right. And so uh, how does how does the bad camper take that on the next page? Oh, he's unhappy. He's like, no, I got to get that camera. I'm going to destroy the film. And uh, amazingly, the super heroic ranger with a little bit of judo and self-defense and a twist of the arm flips him over and says what are you so worried about you know if you're making oh. accusations then you may have something maybe you're guilty right i i love that little judo flip it's it's a great like it, it's a little bit um, maybe uber heroic of him, but yes. it's still funny. And so he develops it. But I, I like that at this point, you know, he of course sees the photo. It, it shows off. It's it's just the perfect distillation of the terrible situation. It totally exonerates Donald, who's clearly in mid harangue. And I like how the guy indicates, you know, as if I didn't need more proof when the guy was trying to destroy your camera. It's nice to see the ducks get getting some credit right mm -hmm. and and it's nice to see donald proud of huey for having the foresight because he pats him on the head um they're really cheering him on and and the rangers you know they they give them the run of the what's left of the forest so that they can still enjoy the rest of their vacation they're going to get a nice camping outfit furnished for them and and before we finish this page one of the nephews makes an interesting request to the the ranger 
Um, do you mind telling us uh, on the next page about that request, Eric? Oh, yeah, he gives a whisper, whisper classic. And the, the uh, ranger goes, oh, yeah, uh, your camera, Donald. I'll have to keep it here. Might need it for uh, evidence. Cough, 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 cough. And uh, allowing, him to, allowing the boys to not be responsible for the camera, the source of their pain and frustrations from the, on this, you know, air quotes vacation uh, is now gone. So they can actually just enjoy time together and have fun. Exactly. It's it's a great, uh, bright idea from the nephews. And, and so they do have a great time for the rest of their vacation. We get like a, a solid four panels of them fishing and sleeping. That, that looks like a great time, doesn't it? It, um, it really does. There's, there's <laughs> something just about being out in the woods. Like I was talking about earlier, my vacation is going on the beach. I mean, there is something peaceful about sitting in a chair sleeping by a campfire. Snoozing in the, in the woods. It's, it, there's something very relaxing about that. Yeah. And, and they're playing uh, the very classic cowboys and Indians, or I guess um, trappers and Indians, because we've got a, a nephew dressed up with the famous uh, Daniel Boone hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to read uh, the, the contents of the last panel because it's, it's great. Um, the narrator box says everything would be perfect except for one thing. Uh, and we've got the, the buck posing majestically on a rock and Donald groaning that every evening at sunset, that big buck comes and poses on that rock and me with my camera and the safe at the ranger station. <laughs> It's just, it's like the perfect way to close this one out. Yes. Yes, it is. And and I think that's like why this, this story, there's never really a part that doesn't work for me. You know, it's, it's long. So it has these kind of meandering stretches, but the overall structure of it is, is just perfectly paced and perfectly plotted. It's a vacation story. So it's even okay that it meanders a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. I'm glad you like this one, Eric. You know, we've we've already kind of been extolling its uh, its virtues. Um, do you have any other thoughts on on you know what makes this one work? How how do you feel that it compares to? You've read a, a good number of Bark stories at this point. Well, I mean, there's some various aspects to it. Um, there is uh, Donald still is spoiled at the end, but it's nice to know that that wasn't you know it's it's not what he set out to achieve on the first panel oftentimes in the beginning of the stories donald sets out an adventure with one thing in mind and then in the end oh nope that didn't happen in truth he gets what he wanted he wanted that time away from the grind and he gets it he doesn't realize that because now that buck is antagonizing him but it's not ruining everything he's not being oh this is horrible it's the worst thing ever why do you do this he's just lamenting the fact that he had this great idea. He's not able to do it now. That he had all this interaction with the buck, and it's now mocking him, which is great. Yeah. And you know, the boys are a bit of a foil. In the beginning, he was giving them a hard time, and then in the end, they found a way to kind of spoil his plans. But still, everyone comes out on top because they get to have that vacation together. It becomes a true vacation. And now that the adventure and the fire burn and the fire and all that is over, they get to just have that time in the woods and that time together and doing all that fun stuff. And so, I mean, it was kind of weird to see that the end, the, the, the final result was good, but yet still you have to needle Donald a little bit at all times. Yeah, he's, um, you know, he's had this, this really heroic turn at the end. So I think Barks had to take just a little bit of yeah. it. 
Gotta huh. knock them down a peg. Yeah, but just a little. Because because by all accounts, they're having a great time for the, um, oh, it's two grand weeks, it says. So that's yeah. still, a, you know, if we assume they've had a couple of days at the beginning here. And boy, you definitely need to recover after that ordeal. I just, they would be so, so smelly and disgusting after even one week there in a forest fire in the air. Ooh, forget about the air quality. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we won't. We don't need to let that intrude too much. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but you're right. As uh, we we know what's going on with the West, uh, the yeah. West of the United States these days. What a great vacation story! It seems very appropriate that it's kind it kind of had its own title here. Um, this this is a really really a special one. I found this one so memorable. I loved coming back to this. No, absolutely. It's got a lot of great stories. It's got a lot of little bits, and that you can enjoy. It's the you know Donald running against the the tough guy. Donald getting fooled by the buck. Uh, Donald saving the nephews, and you know the woodsmanship or survival um, expertise that he displays and, you know, relates in a relatively uh, competent and, you know, actual real world manner is, you know, hey, that could be applied. And still, forest fire is extremely dangerous. Don't go try this yourself. But it, it just it has that neat aspect of there's danger, there's rescue, there's you know, some slapstick comedy, there's, you know, a villain, you know, oh, heroes. You, it's you really love, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. you. You just, you love to hate this villain, right? Oh, yeah. He just, paints him so well and i just i'm like why is this guy camping i mean you go through all the trouble to get up there and, just, and then you're being a lazy camper when you've made this yeah. tremendous effort to get there you know I'm, I'm glad i was thinking i'm glad this villain is a one-off i didn't need him to be pete or or anything like that that's true I, it also occurs to me that kids we as kids when we were kids we love to read like survival i think Mm-hmm. Right. You yeah. love to imagine yourself surviving. So I think part of the appeal is this is such a terrible situation and he sets up such a plausible seeming way. But I think part of the success of this story is it really makes you feel like you, you want to be there. You want to take this, um, yes. not the forest fire part of the vacation, obviously, but the rest of it. Well, this is this again, this is this is in a real world setting in a forest mountain. So this is something someone could go emulate. They're not going to some Florida swamp that has weird creatures that you're never going to see again in a whole hidden society, you know, that's completely made up. This is fishing and wildlife, fishing and camping. Yeah. Anyone can go do that. That's right. And I I love my uh, Bark's hidden civilization stories, but it's a testament to his skill that he could create such a memorable story out of, out of a camping trip. Yes. So you and I love this one. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say that this is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like top 10, um, top 15 for me. I, I do find this one that memorable, at least of the Donald Duck stories. Sure, yeah. Probably counting the, the Donald and Scrooge stories. This is extremely highly regarded by the duck community. This is a top 10 story among people who have rated stories on, on Index, that um, mm-hmm. crowdsourced website. It gets an 8.5 out of 10. And as of now, that's good for eighth place among the 41,000 something Disney comic stories. Wow. There. Yeah. So the, the community views this as an all-time classic. Here on the podcast, this is, I believe, the... 
second or third highest ranked story that we've covered. I think Lost in the Andes is Mm. the only one that might rank higher so far. It's very close to Adventure Down Under, which I I don't think rates nearly as well as this story. So oh, again, okay. yeah, that that's just that's the community's that's the community's feelings regarding those stories. In the case of this one, I, I think it's right on the money. This is extremely memorable. Um sure. because because of the kind of story it is, I think it holds up extremely well. Yes. You know, there's maybe a little bit, it's a little hero worshipy of the Rangers, but, um, but, you know, it's it's kind of a good and evil archetype that it's trying to explore too. Well, you could you could easily substitute his camera for a modern for a modern cell phone and Instagram social media accounts of ruining a vacation. Yeah, that's true. This this I mean, there's definitely something about getting out of town that is probably harder to do these days, but is mm-hmm. still still achievable. Yeah appearances in other media you know i don't i'm not aware of any other any sequels or anything to this it doesn't seem like the kind of story you could sequelize but i did mention the um oil painting that barks did you mind if i send it to you really quickly go for it it's fun because he kind of combines a couple elements from that panel maybe it wasn't an oil maybe it was a lithograph well while you do that i'm going to mention one or two things yeah go for Um, it i really enjoyed the story the one thing i felt the one i felt was a little bit out of place was you know kind of typical but the the page with the revenuers and getting lost i was like okay i guess that i can see the community effect to it but overall to the whole story it felt like it was just a time filler um so when you commented that it was 33 pages instead of 32 my thinking was well if you had to edit down that's the page to lose because it didn't have nothing to do with the rest of the story no more references to being a homing pigeon or weird hillbilly people or the state bridge whatever it was to duckbird um just that joke of making fun of uncle donald being a homing pigeon anyway i mean it was still it was still enjoyable and you know, that, that happens on road trips. You get lost and you make you crack jokes. And then the one other thing I wanted to mention is when Donald sees the buck and has the picture of, I want to take this photo because it's going to be a surprise winning photo. It's in color. When they go to the ranger station and develop the picture of the, it's in black and white. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Obviously, it is the colorer's choice, but I think, sure. that, I think that was the case on multiple printings. It's a good way to show us that this is a photograph. But oh, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. I just... I have fun. I have fun looking for those little little yeah. details. Going like, was this intended? Was it not? I don't know. But it's just something fun to notice. I think you're right. I think that's a good catch. I totally agree with you about the revenuers. It's it it cracks me up, but it, it's it's the least necessary couple yeah. in it. Um, and it, it did take me a little bit out of it, right? Yeah. It it, it kind of goes back to the title, like when I was talking about the bait and switch. You know, the first thing that happens is he gets lost, and so all of a sudden you think, oh, they're going to get lost on this vacation, and it's going to be spoiled. They're going to be stuck out in the woods doing whatever. That sounds more like a typical Donald Duck story of them getting lost and getting stuck in this weird position, and them having to figure the way out of it right i i think you're right i think that's fair i just sent you the link in the chat so take a look it's a, it's a cool oil looking oh oh it's a vulture now yeah i think i think it's meant to be the eagle from the other panel sure kind of um kind of super imposing it there it's it's pretty good i don't know i mean it's very good for as far as picture goes but i kind of like the one that's in the uh 
but it's actually in the comic myself. Sure, it's a different it's a different animal, but um, yeah. but you know these these oils and lithographs he did are all always no, it's, it's 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 very pretty. It's it's quite it's quite striking. Donald is happy as go lucky self driving over a collapsing wooden bridge, and the oh, nephews yeah. just panic beyond all belief. It really amps up the peril. So yeah, um, I'm trying to think. We covered pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. We we do always talk about favorite panels. Mm-hmm. This one is. Such a such an embarrassment of riches to me. Is there any anyone that kind of stood out to you, Eric? Yes, it's the one where he's Bronco busting the the buck, and the boys are in the foreground. He's in the background, and the tall trees, and it's just a really neat perspective. Beautiful shot of the trees and the scene, and then him in the background just flailing. And you've got you've got some of the action there. It's got the action, but it's got that one perspective of it's, I think. Honestly, I think it's the best shot of the forest because you've got trees at different angles and you've got the shadow that I like, the deer, just very great action drawing of the deer and the boys in, 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 in stunned awe of what's going on. And I just, I like that because I can see myself looking through the woods and seeing that picture. That looks like a real forest. That's a good choice. There, there are just so many great ones. It's, it's, it was hard for me to choose. I, I was really struck by the trees as they've just, you know, emerged, the burned trees that mm, one yeah. struck me. I really liked the one of the the ducks rushing in the opposite direction from the animals. You know, that one really highlighted the danger that they were in for mm. me. And then I liked I liked the one, it's just a quiet panel, but the one where they're walking for some time and they pass by the waterfalls and the ferns. I oh, yes. Those were really, really lovely. So, but but again, you could pretty much um, flip to any page, and and you get some of the best barks, the best art of Bark's career in this one. So, yeah. great story. This is a good one if you're really trying to like hook someone, get him into Bark's. You know, there's there's nothing really problematic about this one that that might be in some stories. It's a very like it's a very relatable story. It's very timeless, and it's great storytelling and great art. Yeah. I completely agree. Excellent. Well, Eric, thank you so much uh, for joining me. I had a great time talking about this one with you. I'm so glad you could join me. I think this was a great one to have you on for. I am very much looking forward to the next one, although it's it's a very dark story. We get to talk next episode about the magic hourglass. So yeah, if listeners want to share their opinions, you can join us on the Facebook page, Barks Remarks, or uh, email us at barksremarks at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Bye.